travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 41. This one is traveling North Korea. And only a few years ago, traveling to North Korea was essentially impossible. And even for the few journalists and others that were allowed access to the rogue nation, they ran the risk of being imprisoned as spies. And while there are certainly still the risks that exist, it's today not just a few select journalists or freakily retired NBA stars who have access to this reclusive, isolated dictatorship. It's now open to package tourists and today we're going to chat about an experience there with an American who recently went and this is Scott Coates from Bangkok with my trusty co-host as always. Hey Scott Trevor Ranges here on the other side of town. How are you doing today? Good man we're about a kilometer and a half apart as the crow flies and uh, I know that you have your good friend Jeff teed up for us today and uh, I've known a few people to go to South Korea over the years but this is uh, going to be pretty cool. Yeah, you know, I've spent quite a bit of time in South Korea, and uh, I've never felt as much like a foreigner as I did in South Korea because it's the most homogenous country on Earth. Um, Now, the South Koreans, I think, are are a very interesting lot, and uh, I felt that I had a little bit of insight on what things might be like in the North based on how Mm -hmm. people behaved in the South. Um, But but Seoul is certainly one of the most modern, high-tech, cosmopolitan cities in the world, other than being 99% Korean people. Um, North Korea is is probably almost exclusively North Korean people and probably not as developed. Um, In fact, I think it's one of the least developed countries in the world. Um, So I'm quite curious to see uh, Jeff's insight on these things because he's a bit of an expert. Yeah, I mean, I've been to Seoul a couple times and was absolutely amazed by how modern it is, considering, you know, just a few decades ago, it was a poor military run uh, country. And I imagine North Korea being two separate worlds, you know, one, the capital where the military and the elite live and control things and probably the only really modern things and everything a tourist is going to see is completely engineered for them. And then I imagine if you get out into the countryside, it's just stale and boring and very poor and, and whatnot. And, and that's probably the images that I have more of North Korea in my head. But I mean, geez, it's, uh, yeah, I, I can't quite imagine. It's just one of those last frontiers that's completely closed off, right? But uh, maybe before we get any further, you could tell us about our sponsor today, Trevor. Yeah, speaking of uh, getting off the beaten track, our sponsor mm-hmm. this week is Siam Rip Dirt Bikes. Uh, Siem Reap Dirt Bikes is a great way to, quote, get dirty in Cambodia. Um, they lead uh, day trips and multi-day excursions uh, out of Siem Reap into the countryside. Uh, we've been planning on doing that trip out to Priya Khan Temple in Kampong Sve. Uh, unfortunately, I've uh, blown out my knee and we're going to have to put that trip on hold. Um, but if you're going to plan a motorbike adventure out in Cambodia, uh, which is an excellent way to see the countryside, CM Reap Dirt Bikes is the best way to do so. So thank you yeah. very much for hosting our episode this week. Yeah, thank you. That's super slick. And we do look forward to doing a trip with them out into the center of the country to that uh, temple. It will happen when the time is right, I guess. So, yeah. uh, Trevor, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about today's guest? 
Yeah, well, speaking of Cambodia, um, back when I was working on the National Geographic Cambodia guidebook, um, I was roommates with today's guest. Uh, He was my roommate in Phnom Penh, and Mm -hmm. I think at the time he was no more than 23 years old, um, but he was already one of my journalistic idols. Aside Hmm. from being not very keen on getting up early in the morning, uh, (laughs) Jeff had the most amazing go-get-em attitude, uh, especially as a journalist, which I witnessed numerous times, um, including his tenacious interview of a regional police officer on a floating village in the Tonle Sap Lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a stringer for the United Nations Wire Service, and uh, I, you know some of these Cambodian officials are not very keen on answering questions. Um, but Jeff right. is the kind of guy who's going to get an answer. He he's unflappable. Um, since that time, he was a Fulbright Fellow in Vietnam, then received a master's degree from the London School of Oriental and African Studies. Uh, He went on to become Global Post's senior correspondent for North and South Korea, specializing in politics and business. And he has traversed Asia, writing for The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, Far Eastern Economic Review, Foreign Policy. uh, The list goes on and on and on. His name is Jeffrey Kane. And if you Google him, you will see a picture of him playing with his trombone. So let's give a warm (laughs) welcome to Mr. Jeffrey Kane, who joins us via Skype from Dallas, Texas. Cool. Yeah, I do see the picture. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? We understand you're based in Seoul, but that you're currently in Dallas, Texas. What are you doing in Dallas? Hey, Trevor. Well, I'm here for the week, and I'm just doing some research for my book, which is on South Korea, actually, not on North Korea. Okay, that's pretty interesting. So you're still working on the book tour, and you got to do a global, well, not a tour, but research tour, if you will. Um, everything going well over there? Yeah, yeah, I love it out here. It's nice to be back in the States. I mean, that is my home, and I'm sure you miss you guys both miss it, you know, sometimes. So it, it's just good to come back once in a while and, you know, have a breath of fresh air. Well, Jeff, uh, as I don't know you as well as Trevor did, what first brought you to Asia, and how did you end up specializing in the Koreas? Well, I originally went to Asia because I was doing anthropology, and I was doing also some journalism, too. Um, I actually first went to Cambodia, which was my base for about a year, and then I was in Vietnam for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, Korea, actually, I was never really planning on on specializing in Korea, but it was really just a job that brought me there. It was uh, just, you know, uh, I, I actually I started writing for Time Magazine, and they wanted somebody in Seoul, so I did that for a while. And uh, since then, I've just stayed in Korea. I mean, that that must have been two thousand nine that I first went. Hmm. So you are working and have been working as a, a full-time reporter for quite some time, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually not a full-time reporter right now. I've been a journalist for about eight years in Asia, but uh, right now I'm just freelancing. I'm, I'm working on a book project, so I'm not uh, working on, on articles for the moment or doing you know magazine reporting. Oh, right. Yeah, and apparently you get to do some travel for fun as well, uh, including this trip to North Korea. So why don't you tell us a little bit briefly about that? Like, why did you go up there? Uh, where did you fly into? And uh, how did you get around? Yeah, so Trevor, so uh, I really wanted to go see some of these uh, the, these further off areas in North Korea that nobody uh, really gets to go to that often. I mean, you know, Pyongyang is actually, a, uh, Pyongyang is the capital, and Pyongyang, Pyongyang is a place where uh, just about anybody can go. I mean, if you're a tourist and you want to see North Korea, you can fly into the capital for maybe two or three days. You can see the city, and uh, that's it, and then you leave. Uh, 
Um, but, uh, you know, being based in Seoul, you know, like I, I, I make my living doing Korea and I really wanted to see more of these cities and more of these countryside areas that are away from the uh, capital. So long story short, um, I signed up for this tour with Choreo Tours, which is based in Beijing. It's a British run tour agency. And we, we took a train from, uh, well, first of all, we flew in from Beijing to Pyongyang. And then we took a train around the country. We, we started in the capital and we, we went up uh, through the northeast and finished sort of near the Russian border and then went back. And it was about two weeks total. Hmm. hmm. That's wild. Maybe, maybe you're going to have to help us with the Google Maps uh, here so we can put it up uh, to, to show people. But, you know, I wasn't even sure that people could just go as a tourist. So anybody can get a tourist visa. And are there different airline options or is it only like North Korean airlines that flies into Seoul? I mean, in yeah. Pyongyang. Yeah, j just about anybody can get a tourist visa. It's not that hard, surprisingly. Um, as long as you're not a professional full-time journalist or you're not a pastor going in to do, you know, <laughs> missionary work, uh, which is illegal in North Korea, you will usually be just fine. Um, there are a number of tour agencies that you can contact. They'll fly you in. Uh, they'll they'll get your ticket for you. They'll get your hotel room. They'll they'll set up your government guides. You'll be, you know, led around the country. But, um, no, it's it's actually not that hard to get into North Korea. Cool. Well, I mean, you start in the north, so you didn't even start in the capital. When you first got there, I mean, having been spent a lot of time in South Korea, what were sort of some of those initial feelings or impressions of your first sort of first few hours there, maybe? Yeah, I have a lot to say about that. So living in Seoul and going to North Korea, actually, you see that there are all these cultural similarities between North and South Koreans. Uh, when I got off the plane, when I got on, you know, our first car and we were driving around the town and listening to our government guide, I really thought that we were actually just talking to a South Korean. I mean, it could have been, you know, one of my Korean friends down in Seoul. And I think that we tend to forget that, you know, even though, uh, you know, one country, North Korea, is poor and the other is rich and one is a democracy and one is not, uh, they're really actually, you know, the same society. It's, it's one nation that's been divided for 60 years, 70 years hmm. since the, you know, since the end of World War II. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, just going around the country, take, when we took that train, I was practicing my Korean, I was talking with local people um, who were government approved, obviously, but it was just being able to, you know, communicate with them and to understand some of those cultural uh, nuances, some of those, some of those interesting um, like things that they have in common with the South, it, it really made me feel like I was just back in Seoul in many ways, which was really strange. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you know, I mean, I've spent a bit of time in Seoul, and, and Seoul is quite homogenous. You know, most of the people there are Koreans. There's not that many foreigners, in, in my opinion, compared to Bangkok at least. So when you were staying in hotels there, um, at, I don't even know what a North Korean hotel would be like. I guess in Pyongyang, they would be kind of more of like a business hotel. But what were the other guests like at these hotels that, that you saw? And, and what were the hotels like outside of Pyongyang? So, yeah, big gap there. Uh, hotels in Pyongyang were actually pretty nice by what we, you know, the standards we would expect. Um, you know, they, they, they were nice big hotels that were, um, you know, full of this magisterial architecture, that uh, had a nice view of the cityscape of Pyongyang. I mean, you could look outside, you could open the window and, you know, breathe the fresh air because the air there is actually really fresh. 
Um, you could, uh, uh, you know, like sit down, have a nice coffee or a tea, you know, in the lobby. I mean, it was it was definitely not, you know, at New York standards. But uh, I, I would say, you know, it, being in a hotel in, in Pyongyang is probably the same as being in a, a mid-tier hotel in Beijing or something. Uh, and actually, a lot of the tourists who go there are Chinese and Russians and, you know, East Europeans. I mean, uh, I would say that most people in the hotels in Pyongyang were Chinese businessmen, just overwhelmingly. Yeah. And you heard Chinese everywhere. There was Chinese on the menus. It, it was definitely a place that was catered towards, you know, Chinese tastes. Now, when you go to the countryside, it's a completely different story. Uh, I, we were in... so this one city called Chongjin, which is the far north, um, one of the poorer but more industrial, kind of a gritty city that just opened a tourist a couple of years ago for the first time. Uh, we walked into our little guest house. It was tiny. Um, there's no running water, so they fill your uh, bathtub with cold water. So when you walk in, you, there's just a little scoop, and then, you know, if you need to wash your hair or take a shower, you just scoop out you know, water from your bathtub until it's all gone, and then you know, if you need a refill, they'll come to your room and refill your water. So it's that kind of thing that's really, uh, you know, quite different. Pyongyang is a lot more cosmopolitan. Pyongyang is uh, just a lot more built up. It's a city that's actually reserved for the higher classes, the, the trusted uh, party classes of Korea, North Korea. Whereas, you know, the countryside, is, it's it's not really as prosperous as what the capital has. Then Jeff, I mean, I'm quite surprised in that. I mean, it's a closed country where they seem super concerned about sending a certain message about things. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that they'd even let tourists go somewhere where there's only a, a bucket of water in your hotel. Like, that's just a bit shocking to me. Did it seem weird to you they'd even let you go somewhere where that's the only option? Yeah, and you're right. Actually, it was not uh, very impressive, but um, I, I don't think that the authorities in a place like Chongjin, I don't think they really think about that quite as much. I mean, I got the impression that for them, um, this was just a normal situation. This is just what they've, you know, what they've lived through, what they've been with, and they don't really see, you know, using a bucket of water uh, because there's no running water. They don't see that as something odd or something off. I mean, another example, we had a lot of electricity shortages uh, that was just something that we lived with and the locals were used to it. I mean, I, I think that in that way, North Korea is really comparable to, you know, any Southeast Asian sort of, uh, you know, backpacker trip where yeah, you're staying like in a guest house somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and there's just no electricity. There's no water in some places. There's, you know, there are diseases that you can get. Um, so it's really not that, that, that different when you think about it. Hmm. I mean, during this whole trip, how scripted did the, did the, the trip feel? Uh, it definitely felt scripted. Um, North Korea is, you know, we, we all talk about it as the most isolated country in the world. Um, it is a society that's been changing, but it's still extremely isolated. And it was, um, it was pretty difficult to, you know, break through with our guides. Uh, we all had government guides who were following around us. In my group, we had um, six, yes, yeah, wait, sorry, sorry. Uh, we had three government guides, and then we had one more British guide who was with us who was representing the tour company. And these guides would, um, they would, they would talk to us a little bit about superficial topics. Um, they would talk to us about the food, about kimchi. They would talk to us about, you know, propaganda. They would tell us about the history from their side of the Korean War. 
um, they would they would basically load us up on just you know whatever the government approves. Mm-hmm. But sometimes uh, we could you know we could drink with them. We could kind of have a little bit of fun. And occasionally they would open up just a little bit, and you could see a little more of their human side. You know, you could hear a little more about their life story, what they've been through. Um, since I speak some Korean, I was able to uh, to hear a lot of interesting stories from one of the guides who told me about how uh, he had lived through the famine. Uh, there was a huge famine there that killed maybe a million people in the 1990s, and how he had, you know, his family had survived, you know, using all these these different methods to get food, to you know, to scavenge, to to you know, go outside and just survive. Wow. Well, well on uh, that, that note, was I really mean... the most you could get. And then, uh, at a certain level, you can't really get any further. I mean, they they stop talking to you. They start uh, blocking you out, and they they don't really open up that much more to you. Hmm. Wow. Um, you know, I I again, I going back to my experience. I guess when I was in South Korea, I I thought the the food there was amazing. So you know. I imagine since the cultures are so similar that the food must be fairly similar, but because of the poverty in North Korea, maybe they don't have such diversity. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the the food that you got to eat while you were traveling around the North? Yeah, so the North Koreans always say that they have really awesome food and that it's the best in the peninsula. They're really proud of their Pyongyang naengmyeon, and naengmyeon is, is like a cold buckwheat noodle that's um, indigenous to Pyongyang and something that, you know, they say you can really only get the true experience in North Korea. Um, but I thought that was just complete nonsense. And, uh, you know, I've been in Seoul for a while and uh, I know all the good spots there and anything you can get in Seoul now is superior to anything you can get in North Korea in terms of food. Um, the Pyongyang naengmyeon, the, the noodles uh, in Pyongyang, were pretty bland and just weren't that good. Uh, they didn't really have the same ingredients as you could get in the South. It, it was very clear that they were serving us uh, a watered-down, stripped-down version um, that, you know, that maybe they've become accustomed to you know, since they've been isolated. But down in Seoul, I mean, you can get the same thing, and it's just full of spices, full of tastes. Um, it's fiery. The dishes are fiery. They're hot. You know, they they really know how to do a good barbecue and how to you know treat you well at these restaurants. But in in North Korea, they just didn't have that same food culture. Hmm. Wow. Were you able to like when you're in these towns and these cities? Were you able to like walk out of the door of your hotel and go for a walk and just stroll and see things and chit chat with people, or is that just completely out of the question? We were allowed to walk outside of the hotel and walk in a certain perimeter. We could take a walk around uh, the hotel itself, like within the hotel property. But we were specifically ordered not to leave. And if we did leave, we would get in trouble with the security services. Hmm. And uh, if we, if any tourists on our group pushed this thing too far, uh, it, it, it would be really easy for the, uh, the, the government to shut down our tour. I mean, if they feel like we're not... Um, not following the rules. That's definitely a possibility. But, um, yeah, we didn't have any problems with that. I mean, there were a couple people who went outside and went for walks and, uh, you know, uh, just just kind of hung out and didn't really talk to people. But um, there were, I mean, there were some instances where people weren't really sure what the boundary was and, you know, where, like, at what point can you cross, you know, the, into this area and, and walk around. Sometimes the rules weren't really that clear. But luckily in our group, nobody got in trouble for that. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you know, we know that you've lived in the region for quite a while and you've 
experienced a lot of different cultures. But while you were there, did you experience any sort of culture shock, or or what were the biggest surprises that that were unexpected for what you had anticipated? I surprisingly didn't have a lot of culture shock, just because the the culture was pretty similar to South Korea. Um, you know, I explained that before, but I think that the the biggest um, maybe the biggest shock in terms of like a feeling that something that you wouldn't really like you this is something that you would anticipate you knew that it was coming but you didn't really know what it feels like because you've never experienced it before and for me that feeling was just being completely isolated from the world um no internet no you know i couldn't use my smartphone um couldn't you know even send an email you could send an email from north korea but it's it's pretty hard there's a system you have to go through as a tourist and uh, just, you know, spending two weeks in another country um, on a train going through this pristine countryside that's completely untouched and, you know, just completely beautiful. Because North Korea is a really beautiful country, uh, despite the reputation it gets. Just seeing all that, seeing the, the water is so clean, it hasn't been touched by industry, by pollution, and being cut off from the outside world. Like, you really have this feeling there that you're in what they see as a paradise and they see North Korea as this paradise that, you know, like they are the ones who are standing up to the world and that they have this pure nation that's untouched by, you know, the ways of the world. And uh, you just get that feeling there and you can really, I mean, however twisted, you know, their gulags are in their system is you can really start to feel how they feel about, you know, their leaders and about their government. Hmm. What, what for you sort of stand out as, if you had to take a singular memory or two from the experience, what sort of really stands out, Jeff? Well, um, I think that the, 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 the experience that really stands out was, uh, first of all, just being on that train, which looked like it was from the 1960s and hasn't been updated. Hmm. And just, you know, looking at... Um, just just the countryside in general. I guess that's what I was talking about before. But also, um, just the level of of paranoia that exists in North Korea. The the level of paranoia, uh, you know, in which people try to keep us out of, out of their you know out of their system. They don't want us meddling there. So, for example, on the train, uh, I would I would often go you know to the to the coffee car to the you know to grab a quick snack, get a coffee or a tea. And uh, I'd be sitting there, and I'd be practicing Korean with the, uh, you know, uh, the the local North Koreans on the train. There were some military officers there, and uh, you know, there were some uh, maintenance crew. There were people, you know, waitresses. There were people who were traveling with us who were also going to their own destinations. And um, we would talk to them, and it would be no problem. But somehow, uh, my guides would figure out, and one of them would always come out and get me and fetch me, bring me back. To my car and, and you know just kind of make sure that I'm not uh, you know pushing too far into North Korea that I'm not you know talking with these guys in an unauthorized way mm. and I don't know how they do I mean somebody must have gone and told them or maybe they had something in the train that you know that allowed them to figure out but for some reason they just always knew what exactly I was doing in that train hey um, as we're getting close to the end here I want to ask kind of a wrap-up question uh, now you know the United States considers North Korea uh, you know a rogue nation. Um, so there's like a moral issue as to whether or not you, you should even travel to North Korea. So I wanted to ask your opinion on that. And then finally, because you just returned to the U.S., did you have any trouble because you have like a North Korean stamp in your passport? Well, to answer your second part, North Korea doesn't stamp your passport. 
they give you a separate visa. Uh, it's a little piece of paper that your tour guide takes and, and holds for you the entire time. And then when you leave, they stamp that piece of paper. So you can enter America and, you know, they can ask you, did you go to North Korea? And, you know, you're not obligated to reveal that. I mean, if you don't have a stamp in there, there there's really nothing that's holding you back from just saying no. I'm not encouraging lying to immigration, but uh, I can see why some people would be, you know, would be uneasy about that kind of thing. And that said, even if you say yes, there's no law against going to North Korea. I mean, you can tell them that you've been to North Korea. You can bring back goods as long as you don't bring back anything that, uh, you know, that is sanctioned under United Nations sanctions or U.S. sanctions. Um, you know, and these are serious things. These are like different types of chemicals and, you know, certain types of medicines that, you know, the chemicals can be used for um, chemical, biological weapons. Um, that kind of thing you can't obviously can't bring in and out of North Korea under certain circumstances. So, um, yeah, I mean, you can come back here and tell them where you are, and you're not going to get in trouble for breaking a law as long as you weren't breaking a law. Um, maybe they'll ask you a few questions, but I've never heard a story here of somebody actually, you know, having problems with immigration because they went to North Korea as an American citizen. Uh, what was the other part of your question? The other question was Ethics. about the morality of it, whether by, by traveling there do you feel like you're you're, you know, agreeing with, with their country or giving them money by being a tourist, you know, which was, was an issue with Myanmar back in the day that, that I personally disagreed with. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was an issue with Myanmar. I remember that. Um, I mean, look at Myanmar now. It's opening. I mean, look at yeah. – uh, and I would attribute that in part to sanctions and also to just, you know, having a link to the outside world. The country did open – because at some point the leaders decided that there was no way else of moving forward when you have, you know, this global community that you have to work with. Uh, I mean, North Korea is probably a lot worse than Burma, and I think it always has been, you know, since the 1960s, a country that's been worse off, that, that's had worse prospects than what Burma is doing now. Uh, but that said, uh, I think that, you know, the if you're going to go to North Korea, it's, it's really a personal choice, and in terms of ethics, you're going to have to think about it uh, by yourself. Uh, my personal thinking is that, you know, since I'm traveling for, you know, my own interest for, you know, as, as a Korea specialist, as a Korea writer, uh, you know, it's really something that, you know, in my work is, is a necessity. It's something that, you know, you really have to do if you want to really understand Korea, North or South. So I think there's nothing wrong, you know, with going once in a while. Now, that said, I mean, I think there's a certain point where you don't want to cross the line and just, you know, downright sympathize with the regime or just, you know, give them so much money that, uh, you know, they could buy whatever. Um, they are getting a lot of money from tourism. Um, I think the average, maybe a two-week trip, it must be around 3000 maybe even $4,000, uh, which is, you know, a pretty big fee that goes basically to the government. Most of it goes to the government. Uh, so, I mean, it's something that really I think each person has to weigh from the, for themselves. If you feel like you're going there and you, uh, you're just going because you think it might be fun and you're not really, um, you know, offering any sort of cultural exchange for the country or the people, then maybe it's not really a good idea to go because it, I don't think North Korea is a place you should go to have fun. It's a place you should go, you know, if you want to learn, if you want to see a place that doesn't have Starbucks yet, if you want to see you know, what the world was like a hundred years ago in a lot of, you know, in a lot of places in Asia, uh, North Korea is a good place to go to, you know, to reflect, to study, to meet new people. And I think that's really what should bring people out there. Hmm. Well, on that note, Jeff, if, if it is right for somebody and, and serves their purpose, I mean, how do you even plan such a trip there? Uh, plan, you mean a trip to North Korea? 
Yeah. Just uh, like how do you plan from start to finish, you mean? Well, I mean, how do you arrange it? Like, I mean, if I decide, yeah, I'm going to go to North Korea, like how do I even make it happen? Yeah. Okay. Uh, surprisingly easy. It's something that you can do uh, maybe in even a day. You could actually just go online, go to any of the numerous great tour companies that do that are really passionate about this. Um, you just register with them, send them your passport information, make the payment. Um, there are a few. There's Corio Tours in Beijing. Um, there is the uh, you know the others are escaping right now. There's Corio Tours. There is um, what is it called? You know what? For some reason, I can't remember the names of the other ones. But if you need me to say it on here, I can check. It's all right. That's all right. We can add uh, links to some of the stuff in the show notes if, if you think about it later or we talk about it later. Um, but we definitely really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your, your travel schedule uh, to, to come and talk with us. And, and we're excited for your book to, to come out. Uh, when's your book going to be launched? Do you know? Spring 2017. Okay. Well, uh, that gives you a little bit more time to research it. I know you've been working on it for a while. And, uh, you know, I always... I, I've always enjoyed reading uh, what you write and listening to you on other podcasts, so uh, I'm excited to, to, thanks, to see what you're going to put together for us. So thanks a lot for coming in and joining us today. Yeah, thanks for sharing the story, man. It's uh, You helped paint a bit of a picture of something I couldn't imagine before, so thanks. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm happy it was helpful, and yeah, I appreciate you bringing me on here. So, Scott, that was great having Jeff on today. Uh, really interesting stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I've heard of these North Korea tours before. I know there's a few luxury travel uh, operators that do it, but, I mean, you don't really run into people very often that have been to North Korea. And I've talked to one or two people over the years, but really they just went to, like, be able to say they went to North Korea or flash the passport stamp that I now learn you don't have. So, whereas Jeff... You know, he's there for legitimate sort of business reasons and to really learn about the place. So I enjoyed it was a totally different take on it than what I'd heard before. Yeah. And uh, if people go to the show notes and have a look at the photos or maybe in a Facebook gallery, we'll have some of his photos. His photos are just amazing. Um, the fact that he got to take the train and, and go out through the countryside and, and see kind of the real North Korea um, is really cool. And the fact that like since he's fairly fluent in Korean and he got to speak to some of the local people, um, I think Jeff got a really unique experience out of that trip. Yeah, I mean, would you do it? I mean, I've my my dad and I have talked before. Like, oh, I wonder if we should go to North Korea. And I'm on the fence. Would would you go? Like, if it was you know the money you had for a trip, one or two trips. Yeah, a you year, know, it's interesting be, because years ago, like we talked about Myanmar there briefly. Like many many years ago, I went to Myanmar when we were support, supposed to sort of not go, you know? Mm. Um, and, and at that time, I thought, like, you know, going to Myanmar was a good thing because uh, I, I didn't believe that most of our money was ending up in government coffers. I, I believe that, like, we were going to small mom-and-pop uh, businesses and interacting with local people and giving them exposure to the outside world that I thought was, was important to kind of, like, let the people know that, hey, you know, there's this whole world out there and they're interested in you and, and you can have some sort of cultural exchange. I don't know about North Korea, because like Jeff was saying, you have to give thousands of dollars that does go to the government itself. And, and you know, they're testing nuclear weapons right now. So maybe uh, maybe it isn't quite the right time to be going to North Korea as a tourist. And unless you have some specific like reason for studying their culture or, or something that could give some 
positive benefit out of it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't go uh, to Myanmar as far back as when you went, but you know, from what I I've heard from others and from what Jeff says, I mean, I think you're you're literally you can't go to a mom and pop shop or shop at a mom and pop shop by the sounds of it, right? Like you're no. with the guide, they're like almost holding your hand, walking you to look at such and such a statue, and then into the hotel. So, I mean, I kind of really got the feeling from that that there's not even room to be really benefiting locals financially anyway. I mean, maybe you'll get to talk to someone randomly, but it sounds like that is a real, real closed and managed experience. Yeah, I think so too. So you think you wouldn't do it? Yeah, I mean, it would be kind of neat just to see Bizarro Land, right? Because, I mean, there's only a couple of places, maybe even only one like this in the entire world that's so closed off and so unknown. And to just be able to see it with your own eyes. But I think... I don't know. I don't think it's for me. It's probably just so scripted that, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's probably a bit too scripted. If I was, you know, super wealthy and didn't work and all I did was travel, then sure. But otherwise, I don't think I'd do it at the moment. Yeah, you know, are we better off going perhaps is to Cuba, who's already opened up now. And, and Jeff was just recently in Cuba, so maybe we should talk to him about his Cuba trip sometime. Yeah, it's a bit of a pull from Asia. But uh, hopefully, too, by the time this goes up on our show notes, we could get Jeff to help us with a little map because I'd kind of like to see where he went. So maybe we can make a Google map if uh, it can even design one of North Korea. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Well, uh, thanks for bringing your friend into this one. That was uh, a pretty interesting part of the world to talk to about. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, we're trying to cover as much of Asia as we can here on Talk Travel Asia. So uh, if anyone of our listeners has been to some really interesting remote regions that, that we might not have covered yet, uh, why don't you give us an email and let us know, and maybe we'll invite you on as a guest. Cool. Well, thanks, Trevor. Great to chat with you as always. So I'll say goodbye. Yep. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and 